coming up on Influencing Entrepreneurs. But the rest of my time, I hope, is this, you know, helping entrepreneurs be ultra successful because I think there's just a lot of bad info out there. After years of teaching entrepreneurship and consulting with numerous companies, I realized that when business leaders shared stories of their success, hardships, and mistakes, it always had an impact in the classroom. So I thought, why not share these real-life business cases for education and inspiration? I'm Kazmer Ward, and this is Influencing Entrepreneurs. On today's episode, we speak with Mac Lackey. Mac is an American entrepreneur who has started, scaled, and sold six companies, all seven or eight-figure exits. Mac and his companies have been featured on CNN, The Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, Business North Carolina, USA Today, and The New York Times. Notable ventures include Kick, which was acquired by NBC Sports, Mountain Khakis, acquired by Remington, and Internet Soccer Network, acquired by a division of News Corp and Sky. He additionally served as a member of the board of directors for LendingTree for over five years and is currently an angel investor in over 50 companies. Mac was a collegiate All-American and played professional soccer before starting his first internet company in 1995. So, well, thanks for being here today, Mac. Thanks for having me. Let's start off in general. What starts, what inspires you to start a new venture? You know, I think for me, I have always uh, tried to pursue things that interest me or where I experience a problem in my day-to-day -day life. And so if I get frustrated by something, my mind sort of shifts to why isn't that easier? Why isn't there a better way to do it? And so somewhere between those kind of passions and things that just aren't working up to what I would like, you know, my expectation, those usually trigger me thinking about businesses and ideas and um, some of them continue to stay with me and I feel like I need to go work on them and some of them just sort of fade away so so were you born with the entrepreneurial spirit or where did this problem-solving turn into business owner my um, upbringing so I'm a an only child from Charlotte and uh, I was telling someone just yesterday my dad was a really hard worker uh, worked his way up from third shift engineer into kind of management and watching my father's work ethic, but also his frustrations with some of the corporate world really shaped me. I didn't realize it until I was sort of looking back, but you know, as a teenager, you know, sitting around the dinner table talking about his day, he would say things like, I'm not able to do this because my boss or the corporate structure, and I, I just sort of developed this um, dislike of structure. And so I was like, man, I just can't imagine myself doing that. Um, and then the other thing is I pursued soccer. You know, it was kind of my passion growing up. I played through college, played a, you know, a little bit after college. And so that was such a non-traditional kind of path that I'd already developed this I don't have to do it the standard way mindset. And then having that coupled with, you know, my father sort of every day saying, you don't want to be on the corporate treadmill. Just like that's I've got to do my own thing. So you have a path in, in, in an early career in soccer. Yeah. And as you do that, when does it start to become revenue generating outside of soccer? Yeah, so for me, um, I, I think about life in two big pieces. Um, there was the soccer kind of passion, which fed me all the way, or not fed me financially, but sort of kept my mind engaged all the way through college. That was really what I cared about. I went to college in my mind to play for a great college team. It was not 
to get the degree, which is, you know, it is what it is. That was just my mindset at the time. And then I had these goals and dreams as a child to play at a certain level. I mean, in my mind, I wanted to be an All-American because that meant something to me. I wanted to play professionally. I wanted to, you know, travel and play soccer. And to some degree, I did those things. You know, I checked the boxes. I was an All-American. I, play, you know, had an opportunity to play professional. I went, you know, played in South America. And so I looked forward and all of a sudden the path was no longer interesting because I kind of had checked the boxes and I think I really just capped out. There were just really wasn't a logical place. This was pre-MLS, so there was no, you couldn't make a lot of money as a professional. You couldn't really move abroad as a professional. So it's like, okay, I need to figure out what's next and literally kind of turn that switch off and turn the, like, I need to, you know, get into the business world. And I'm imagining that there's a little bit of panic, like, what is life after soccer? There, there was, and what was really interesting at the time was looking around at older professionals, and I'm a big believer in modeling, so I sort of look at people that are where I want to be in life and sort of figure out their path. And I look at these individuals that are maybe five or 10 years older than me at the time, thinking, I don't, I don't really like their life. I mean, honestly, they're playing professional soccer great, but they're playing Nintendo all day and they're lifting weights and that's not what I want for my life. And so sort of seeing that path um, was like, uh, I, I need a different one. But I also didn't really know any better, like what I'm not capable of doing yet in the business world. I was just like, okay, now I'll go do business. And, and I didn't, I don't think I was smart enough to realize that business isn't necessarily like, a, oh, you just start a business, you know, there's a lot to it. But um, so I just sort of jumped in and, and got started. Playing Nintendo and lifting weights all day sounds like what we all want to re retire to, and you're walking away from it at a young age. Retirement is such an interesting thing because I'm now, you know, 25 years after starting my first company, I'm sort of thinking about the second half of life, what I want to do, and I've been very fortunate in a lot of ways, and it's all of the stuff that people would say is the traditional retirement, like you don't, if you don't have to work, what would you do with your time? And I, I have no answer other than like, I really want to continue to do what I love to do. And so golf holds no appeal. Nintendo holds no appeal. Lifting weights only so that I can, uh, you know, stay healthy and keep right. doing what I love to do. So I, I don't think there's ever been a point in my life where I just thought I want to like turn it down, but I wanted to shift where I put my energy into things that had you know, different impacts over time. I mean, you know, it was early, it was, I had to make money. I had to like get my head above water so I could pay my bills. Started my first company in a one bedroom apartment, uh, recently married, and I was wondering if I was gonna make it, you know? And then after that, you start sort of looking at different things. So the motivations change. I never had that, like, I wanna just sort of stop mindset. What type of business does a retired 20 year old soccer player start? <laughs> Most retired 20-year-old soccer players would be a soccer coach. <laughs> That's what, that was the path of least resistance, and that, again, held no appeal. Um, a lot of my friends did that and have made a career out of that and done, done well. But um, for me, I, um, I actually joined a startup. Um, I did take a job. It's really the only job I've ever had. So for six months after I stopped playing soccer, I had a friend who I met playing that I uh, was was in a startup and they were looking for someone in the marketing department and it was reasonably good on the phone. That was the sort of the criteria. So I said, all right, well, I can probably talk on the phone. I don't know much about marketing, but I'll figure it out. And I would say day two of that company, 
sealed my future as an entrepreneur simply because, uh, you know, here I am, this super young kid, zero experience. The president of the company comes in second day and says, okay, we're going to have a strategy session. Everybody head to the conference room. And I'm all excited. I'm grabbing my little notebook and pencil. And as I stand up, he kind of gives me the, you know, stiff arm, like, actually, you stay and answer the phone. And it, it was such a visceral feeling. I'm like, you don't want my ideas. You don't care about what I think. Like, it really... All probably the dinner table conversations of, of my life where my father was talking about, you know, bosses and bureaucracy was like, huh, that's what it feels like. He doesn't want me in that room. He doesn't want my ideas. I made a decision almost that day that I'm going to start my own company. Met an engineer at that business. He and I resigned uh, months later to start our first company. So uh, I think that sort of feeling is something I recognized early on I just didn't want to have in my life. So that you and the engineer, was it a software engineer? Yeah, software engineer, self-taught engineer, really, really smart guy, still uh, here in town, has been very successful. Um, the company we were working with was doing educational software, and we thought there was an opportunity to take that software and take it into the business world. And this was first quarter of 1995, so Netscape had literally just launched its web browser, and we were one of the first web development companies, probably in the Southeast, because we started doing software development, but very focused on the internet, which for a lot of people, like, oh, that's obvious. Well, at the time, there was nothing obvious about starting an internet company in 95. And so we got, you know, we were fortunate that we got in that sort of wave one really early. Get into that space. How long do you end up in that company? So that company was, I would, uh, people, you know, talk about garage startups. That was a very traditional garage startup, meaning we raised uh, $10,000 as a loan from a family member. You know, we both lived separately in, in little one-bedroom apartments. We had no money, no resources. You know, we basically had 30 days in our minds to like sell something and so that the proceeds of that sale could give us another 30 days. And so I say that just because it was a, you know, build a company that's profitable enough that you can sustain yourself. Every time we got to a certain level, we'd hire someone else. My partner and I would sit back down and say, can you go another 30 days without pay? And so it was a, it was a tough, you know, kind of keep your head above water time. We didn't design it to sell it. We designed it to build a great business. About three years later, uh, the space that we were in just exploded. You know, everyone was starting these companies and all of a sudden we had uh, offers for our business. And Candidly, they were life-changing offers that's kind of like, how do you refuse this, you know, this opportunity? So we ended up selling the company uh, about almost, almost three years from starting it. The company that acquired us did a roll-up of several companies and took them public. Um, and watching that process, um, even though it was really hard, I mean, I, I think about a lot of times like, oh, it was great, three years, and then we sold it. Well, those three years were tough. I mean, you know, I slept on the floor in the office. I, you know, was very stressed about it. But seeing the result of we built something that people value, they paid us what seemed like an unfair amount of money for it, and it was so compelling that I thought, okay, that's the process I want to repeat. So that was, uh, sold that company in, in 1998, um, and that sort of, in my mind, began the 
journey of I'm going to not just start a company, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Like that's, I'm going to call myself an entrepreneur. I'm going to think of myself as an entrepreneur. End of the 90s is kind of when the word entrepreneur really took shape. Right. It became, uh, to, to this day, I think it's almost a term that's overused, but it, it started taking shape then. And you hear it a lot in the entertainment industry. How does one start a job as an entrepreneur? Your timing is is really interesting because I almost think there were two worlds. There were the world there was the world of the media talking about entrepreneurship, and then there was the reality of where I lived. I mean, I lived in Charlotte, North Carolina, and so by 1998, I had sold a company. Most of the people I met had no idea what a internet company was. Still, they were hearing news about it. There weren't hardly any in Charlotte. I didn't meet people that were peers or people I looked up to that understood what I did or valued what I did. So it was not a like a cool thing to do. I mean, it was honestly, I, I used to tell the story that I would go when my kids were younger, I would go to events and I would, you know, doctor, lawyer, banker, all, you know, all these successful people. And they would say, what are you doing? I'm say, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. And they'd be like, oh, like, oh, you couldn't get a job. You know, like <laughs> that was like not a cool thing. It was a, oh. so. 98, um, I was so inspired by what we had just gone through that I started my next company. Literally, the, the business that we sold, uh, the acquire went public the next day I resigned, started my next company. It was a soccer-focused technology company, so it was my first opportunity to fuse passion with something that I felt like I had some new experience in, which was building technology companies. Um, so we built a very niche-oriented, soccer-focused tech business in 98. Um, in 99, the, uh, it was really 99, I guess we started that one, excuse me. Um, we were building up very quickly. March of 2000, I had a term sheet for a big uh, venture capital group out of New York. Was celebrating with my friends when we got a uh, follow-up text that says the NASDAQ has just crashed. Term sheet is getting torn up. You know, the internet effectively ends for a lot of people. I mean, March of 2000 was like, you know, the end of the world for most tech companies. That company, we literally started it, got to that point um, in March, and then we sold it to a public media company in Europe where the market had not quite crashed as hard in uh, July of 2000. And so that was such an interesting time to have literally been at the absolute peak of the bubble, building something, but we started, built, and sold that company in 14 months. And we sold it for you know eight figures. And so it was a, you can not only build a company, you can build value fast. That was kind of my new thought, right? right. And so um, that was kind of that, that business. So when the bubble bursts, I have to imagine there's a sense of dread of those conversations with your dad. I don't ever want that outside force controlling me. And now the market, the force of all forces, truly puts right. its foot on you. Well, and you felt it first in terms of access to capital because we were the sign of the times in the late 90s was build fast, you know, use capital, build as quick as you can because that's what people value is growth. And so when the bubble burst, the sort of the mindset shifted to you either have to survive or your business has to land somewhere else. And so the people that chose to survive hunkered down and just stayed the course and said, on the backside of this recession or whatever it is, we'll hopefully still be alive and can build again. We took a different approach, which was, how can we take the value that we've built and give it to someone else who still has the resources? And so we, we set out to 
sell the company. Um, and again, that was kind of a, a pivotal moment for me where I thought, all right, now part of the strategy might be maybe I'm good at building things up to a certain level, but I'm not the guy that wants to go raise a ton of money and have people telling me how to build the business. I want to hand it off to someone else who can take it to the next level. The mindset of a lot of entrepreneurs shifted during that period. A lot of people got really conservative and we just sort of doubled down on, we'll sell it to a public company and keep growing if we can. So um, I, I sort of look at that period as a, a necessary shakeout for people that had, they didn't have real businesses, they didn't know how to build real businesses. It was the pets.com kind of thing where you put a cool name and a t-shirt together and you know you raise money. And that was not our experience. And so I think it really shaped how future internet companies would be built and was important. It was an important shakeout, honestly. So even before your second company, you made the decision that you want to make a career as an entrepreneur, which today you've, you're focusing uh, your efforts into being that public figure. But early on, we, we didn't have influencers or look at public figures in the same way. So you decide to be an entrepreneur by doing the next business. Right. So what comes after the second business? So about 2000, um, I had a, a group of friends that were kind of joking around. They used to call you know, entrepreneurs serial entrepreneurs. If you did more than one, you were a serial entrepreneur. And they said, you're actually not serial, you're parallel. You're doing multiple at a time. And so at that same point in March of 2000, I helped another local group of friends start another tech business. And so I was kind of building one, helping another one get started. And I felt like that was me honing in on my what I would say are limited set of skills, but the things that I did pretty well and surrounding myself with people that did the other parts well. So I was able to, in my mind, think, all right, well, if I focus on what I do well and I find other people that I can help spin up a business, I can get leverage on my time, I can do more of what I love. So we started a company called Etain, or Etain Group, as uh, now it's called, uh, back in March of 2000. Uh, merged together a couple of local tech companies and, and built that up. Um, so, you know, I got to the point where I was doing kind of several things at once. When I look back over that 25-year kind of body of work, I, I generally talk about six companies that were the ones that I kind of started, scaled, and sold myself. But I was generally, because there weren't many entrepreneurs, it's not that I was doing things special, it's just that if you were looking for an entrepreneur to partner with, advise, or whatever, the list was pretty short. And so... I got involved in a lot of stuff during that time period. So, uh, so Etain Group was technically my next business, although it started kind of overlapping with the one I had just, uh, just started and was selling. What did you learn was a lot different as a consultant as opposed to the actual technology? Yeah, I would say for me, I've always looked at um, startups and again looking for areas in the market where I might be able to add value but I never considered myself an expert at for example even in our first tech company I really had never written a line of code I was not an engineer I did not understand at a granular level software engineering but I was business minded and could say alright well I have an engineering team that can build software you have a business that you want to do something, you know, you want to sell something, you want to create something, I can be the kind of the bridge. And so I developed this, this, you know, role in my companies where I could kind of see where people were trying to go and translate that into 
something we could execute from an engineering perspective. Um, very similar to my next soccer company is it was a content related business and there were a lot of people doing content for soccer, TV, radio, newspaper. Very few people made that accessible on the internet or made it accessible on mobile. We were really early in mobile. Think about the timing. So we, we were really early in mobile. Um, so my kind of thought was I'm translating stuff. And so I looked at technology consulting the same way as there's a business with a problem. I need to solve it. And how I solve that might be staffing, it might be engineering, it might be development, it might be outsourcing, but my, my job is to solve the problem. Which I think became helpful over the years because my subsequent companies varied so much that people are like, how can you go from technology to an apparel company or from an apparel company to a media company? It's like, well, my role is not changing. I'm still looking for a vision, for a market need, trying to articulate that and solve a problem. Now, the people behind me, they have to be subject matter experts in whatever that is. If it's apparel, it's design. If it's media, it's you know someone that's that's kind of their core competency. Looking back, it's I've built these companies from scratch. We had a successful exit. What are some of the lessons you had to learn the hard way? The lack of mentorship in the specific arena of entrepreneurship, or particularly what I would call kind of early stage high growth companies during that era, um, I had people that I looked up to that were mentors for sure, but they were you know, mentors in terms of life and morals and ethics and business at a high level, but not how to build a startup, you know, how to raise capital, how to hire and fire people. So I did all of that stuff for the first time, typically by myself or with my partners, which meant I made a lot of mistakes. And some of the, you know, some of the biggest ones, you know, that I made over the years, I think, um, you know, not designing a business to be sustainable, particularly with my second company, because the, the euphoria of the internet was so big, people were saying, oh, it doesn't matter if it's profitable, and who cares if you have the money in the bank to hire the next person, you just need to grow. And it was easy to get caught up into that, but when things like the market, you know, kind of falls out from under you or capital dries up, um, your ability to navigate through that turbulence is the difference between success and failure. And so I, I learned a couple of very hard lessons about, okay, I have to build my business to be sustainable. I have to build it so that it can navigate and can change. So that, in my mind, maybe the key word to that is agility. You know, building a company that can be agile enough to react to the market, react to customers, and not kind of have a one track. So you've had at this point, or at that point in time, three companies, you started from scratch, successful exits, you're, you're featured on, in national media outlets such as CNN, and where you're at today is you're building your personal brand as an entrepreneur. What is that business like to build, uh, build yourself as a public figure? It's an interesting time. I think um, because of my age when I sold some of my early companies, so my first two companies built and sold in my 20s. Um, in a lot of ways, I had some early success, which did lead to some media coverage, and which was great. It felt good, you know, your ego feels good. Um, but then I also, uh, for the, the next sort of bucket of time, period of time, almost 10 years, I kind of took the opposite approach, which was the number of people coming at me for, you know, raising money, helping with their startup was I wanted to help people, but it was so distracting to what I was trying to do. I wanted to really build companies and have an impact, to have a family at this point. 
which I'm highly focused on optimizing for time with my family. So I actually went the other direction for almost 10 years, meaning like I turned down every interview. I didn't, I didn't want to be in the media. I kind of went low profile. You know, we moved abroad for a while, so I lived in Barcelona. Um, so for a variety of reasons, I kind of went, you know, under the radar. And then I guess after my last exit, which was just about a year ago, so it was my sixth exit, I really was thinking about what the second half of life would look like. And in my mind, after a lot of thought and reflection, it was helping young entrepreneurs, helping new entrepreneurs, I don't have to be young in age, but new entrepreneurs do the things that I was able to do. As we discussed, a lot of those I learned the hard way. So it's not like, hey, everything I did, I did it all right. I made a ton of mistakes and got punched in the face and you know, failed. And, but all of those things allow me to kind of mentor, advise people and make the path a little faster and smoother. And so I decided at that point, I need to kind of rise back above the noise and say, okay, I'm here to help. I do have a unique background. You know, it's not perfect, I've made mistakes, but if you're looking for a certain type of entrepreneurship, then Mac might be a guy you wanna to talk to because the two things that stand out in my mind, looking back, if I'm being really critical, there are plenty of people that sold one company for more than I sold six, and there's plenty of people that have been a lot more successful. One of the things I did very successfully, kind of two things, one is I had six exits, and so I navigated six startups to the finish line and most of them were seven or eight figure exits they weren't all perfect but you know some of them were meaningful enough that you know th they mattered right and so my ability to help people navigate to exit feels unique because i've done it repeatedly the other one is i made a decision when my daughter was born back in 2000 that i was not going to trade off time with my family for building startups. And yet I was not willing to slow down and give up on building startups. So from that decision, um, I used to always say, I'll never miss a donuts for dad because I just wanted to be those, that dad, you know, my father was awesome, you know, have a really close relationship, but because of his work schedule, he couldn't be home at dinner at five o'clock every night or be at every play at two o'clock in the afternoon at school. And I wanted that. And so my ability to, since that time, build and sell another four companies and never miss a Donuts for Dad, I think is a unique approach because we're living in a time where there's these influencers, to use that word, Gary Vaynerchuk, super successful, screaming from the rooftops that you have to hustle and work 80 hours a week. And you know, during those times, I was working hard, but I was at every soccer game, I coached the kids games, I carved the pumpkins in their classes, I traveled, and I refused to give up on that. So I think there's an important message where I can help young entrepreneurs with that, what a lot of people call balance. So I feel really passionate about that. So that's where the personal brand, I felt like in order to affect people and have an impact, people need to know who I am. So I have to kind of lift back up and try to get my name out there. When you mentioned that balance that entrepreneurs need to face because those personalities out there that are screaming and say hard work gets you mansions, it gets you Ferraris and everything, right. it's very, it's false. It is false. That balance actually, sometimes the best ideas that I've had for my business and other entrepreneurs I've talked to have been when they're sitting in traffic yeah, or when it is that downtime, not when they're running around screaming like a maniac. My family and I have a pretty big priority on travel. It's just something we enjoy doing together. 
And so we prioritize for it. And you know, over the last four or five years, and we've traveled you know, all over the world, we moved abroad. The biggest thing for me is that is where I have my best ideas because my perspective changes. You know, when you're in another country, in another culture, you're just enough out of your comfort zone and the routines to kind of look at the world a little differently. And that's when interesting ideas bubble up. And so if you're working 80 hours a week, kind of in the grind, as I say, how can you possibly have a creative thought? I mean, you're so blinders, heads down, focused that there is not a breakout thought coming. And so, and luckily, you know, we took, we took our daughter to, uh, we dropped her off at NYU to start her freshman year. And I, and I really look at it as a 19 year exper experiment that worked. I, I, I can look back now and say it wasn't, you know, a few things, it was four more companies that I scaled and I exited and I was able to navigate through being there for my family. So I don't, I don't think it's, I think it's a disservice when people make it sound like, one, you have to work all the time. You have to work hard, no, no question about it. But maybe that's at you know, 10 at night because you went to a play at two o'clock in the afternoon. So there's a way to do that. And I think it's really hard. I feel like I'm competing on the personal brand side with people that are renting Ferraris to take pictures and make it look like they're living this amazing life. And it's not real, you know? And so that's the hard part about what's going on for young entrepreneurs is being able to kind of pierce through the noise and say like, what's real and what's authentic. With your background, you now are giving back and you, you've got a new venture to help entrepreneurs. Can you tell us a little about that? I got to the point where I feel like my biggest impact or what could be the legacy that I look back on is, is really, I'm very proud of what I've done as an entrepreneur for the most part, but I really think the legacy is helping other people and helping them build the companies that they're passionate about, helping them live the life that would allow them to spend time with their families or focus on their health or whatever their passions are. So I've started a business called Exit DNA, which is very specific to help already successful entrepreneurs navigate that process to ultimately sell their companies or at least design it so that it can be sold. One of my core beliefs is when you design a company that is sellable, which means someone wants to pay you a premium for what you've built, you've effectively just built a great company. And so you have the option as a founder or an entrepreneur to sell it or not. But if you optimize for that, it's the best business you can build. So I help entrepreneurs in that way. And then I'm starting to you know, mentor and give back as much as I can just with the general, how do you scale a company? How do you start a company? I'm doing lots of free talks. I'm doing boot camps. All that stuff is kind of from my website. And I will, over time, find ways to turn those into the business of what I do because I do believe that it's, it's more effective as a business because I'm more focused and clear when I think about building something than philanthropy. I think nonprofits are amazing, but they similarly to corporations can get bogged down with bureaucracy and rules and regulations. I just wanna have an impact. The way to do that is get the resources behind what I do to help more people bring in more experts, bring in more resources. So that's the way I've been thinking about it. But so yeah, I'm uh, in the process of kind of launching that stuff and I'm super excited about it. Getting to the point where you focus on balance and work while still working and having passion for work, which a lot of people lack. Right. What's the passion project that's left for you to do? You know, I think um, so much of my life has been building these companies and then having my family, you know, as, as a big part of my life. And just because of age and the age of my family, 
My oldest is in college, my youngest is two years from college, and so now the conversation with my wife has shifted to where do we want to be, where do we want to spend life, like geography, what does that look like, which has been a fun, interesting you know, dialogue. So there's part of me that thinks the where of my time is part of the future, but the other is, um, you know, I really want to do some things, particularly in, in soccer, I just have a passion for it, you know, I'm looking at buying teams, I'm looking at, you know, other kind of interesting things in the soccer world. Uh, so I think there's a passion project that will probably bubble up on that side. But the rest of my time, I hope, is this, you know, helping entrepreneurs be ultra successful because I think there's just a lot of bad info out there. And if, if I can help them cut through the noise, just get where they want to be faster, I think I will be living uh, a life I'm, I'm happy about. So no weightlifting in Nintendo in your future? Maybe weightlifting to stay healthy, but as you can tell, I'm not a uh, super, uh, super lifter. Uh, probably not a lot in Nintendo. All right. Well, um, people can learn more about Exit DNA and you at www.maclackey.com. I appreciate you being here today. Thanks for having me. All right, thank you. Thanks for watching. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com backslash Education or visit influencingentrepreneurs.com to catch up on previous episodes with Casimir Ward.